We all need to get along. Professional respect in the veterinary clinic is something that can lead to increased productivity and morale. This week, we're talking to an expert on how you can bring respect to your workplace on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Viewfinders. Before we get started today, I want to make sure that we ask you guys to review us on Apple Podcasts. This is how the master algorithm connects us with our veterinary colleagues. So if you could just take a couple of minutes today, just go over there, give us, we'd suggest five stars, but whatever you feel is appropriate so that we can continue to bring you great content like this conversation we're going to have today. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And without a doubt, respect is one of the tough topics that just doesn't get talked about enough. And today we've got a special friend and someone I respect and admire greatly, an RVT who is doing some amazing things. And we're going to have this really candid conversation about how to get respect and how should we give respect and what does respect really have to do with an effective veterinary practice. But before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And today's guest, we're really excited to have it back, actually. She's a friend of the podcast who's been here before. Ms. Heather Pendergrass has been with us before to talk about various things throughout the years, and she's known throughout the industry for helping to develop amazing teams and strong, you know, teams that work together. She's currently serving as a director with Encore Vet Group, which is an amazing Amazing position out there leading the industry again, as she always has been as a technician, helping to create better practices, better cultures within our practices. And today she's here to help us with just that. Thank you so much for coming back today, Miss Heather. Thank you so much for having me. So today's conversation, you know, I reached out to you to talk about this after I saw an exchange where, you know, so many of these conversations come from, which is of is social media, right? So I see this conversation going and I'm thinking, Miss Heather's got to come on Veterinary Viewfinder and help us talk about this. So we have a colleague in the industry who is, you know, a, a VTS in, in what they do. They travel the nation. They even travel, you know, the country talking about their content. They're sought after. They have, you know, followers all over the country. So well-respected. But in their very own clinic, they're struggling with having one of their veterinarians respect their opinions, um, bringing them in on treatment plans, and basically treating them as, quote unquote, just a technician. And this is someone who, you know, is really well regarded, even published in their area. And it's leading to this feeling of why do I even bother? You know, um, I could just go and do something different. That would be, you know, I, why am I putting in so much of even in my own backyard? I'm not feeling very respected. And then, you know, since I saw this, I've had this conversation with several technicians who, again, are, are, are incredibly sought after nationwide. And I thought, Miss Heather, maybe you could join us today to kind of talk a little bit through this. And within our clinics, how do we help to respect each role for what it is? You know, Miss Becky, when you reached out to me about this topic, it really struck a chord with me because I also had the same experience when I was still in general practice. I had a veterinarian that I had a difficult time communicating with. I had difficulty implementing uh, plans and policies and things that I would learn in our industry and I would bring back. I had been published already. I had been um, to speaking to national events. And so the very much the same thing that our VTSs are experiencing, I experienced myself. So I feel like I can bring perspective on two different levels. 
One is what I had learned when I was in the practice. The other side is kind of our, our HR role. And as I look at this from a practice manager facilitator uh, type of discussion, I think I can bring another perspective as well. So I thank you for bringing um, great awareness to this. I think it's definitely needed. Yeah. And Heather, before we jump into this, I just want to remind the Viewfinder family that this isn't confined to national speakers, VTSs, even RVTs. This is an issue that affects each and every member of a veterinary team. And I would actually say of any business or group or team or anything in life. You know, this is a story about ego and how we respect and interact with each other. And so, Heather, again, you know, I, I know we want to focus on our own stories. And gosh, it already sounds like the veterinarian's really the evil villain of this story already, which, granted, I, I think that's probably earned in some situations. But let's, let's also make sure to continue this conversation to the CSRs, the receptionists, the kennel staff, and so forth. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more because I think that every person in our team is trying to figure out how to develop that respect and, and walk that fine line. And um, I think there's a lot of self-evaluation that comes in here as well that we can talk about today. So Heather, I'd like to start with maybe give us a sense of, you know, what does disrespect and respect look like in an, in an effective and a harmonious veterinary team? I mean, Becky and I certainly can share our perspective, but I'd really like to hear, you know, from you, you, like, what are the signals that say, wow, this is a problem in a clinic or wow, this is something we should aspire to? You know, I'm always a person that looks at the glass, the, the glass that's half full. So let's take a look about you know, what is respect. Uh, obviously, the negative comes out what is disrespect. So respect is about having um, good communication between team members about having the same goals at the end of the day. So that may be about our um, uh, patient care and client care, and that we're all here to serve the greater need of our clients and our patients. So having the same goal in mind and how we're going to get there together. It is about respecting each of the different roles that we play in the veterinary uh, practice. You know, we all serve a client and a patient in a different way. But when we all achieve that end goal together, it creates the awesome culture of our hospital. But again, it comes back to that respect we have for one another as it relates to that final goal. But this reminds me of a study that was not published, and there's a reason for this, but done at a veterinary school about 25 years ago, Heather, and basically they were looking at psychological profiles of freshman uh, class, right? So you, you've seen these types of studies over the years. And one of the, the highlights of this study, and the reason, quite frankly, it didn't get published because it wouldn't reflect well on this particular university, was they found low self-esteem almost across the board. And this issue, disrespect, and respect, I think, is rooted in your own personal self-esteem, right? Because when we are trying to clamor for a boost of, of our ego, you know, this is when we tend to step on others. So maybe speak a little bit around the psychology of, of why this happens in the first place, respect or disrespect. I, I certainly can support that. And I think that the lack of confidence we have in practice, you know, I think about the number of team members that we bring into a hospital and we, first of all, don't teach about our culture that we have in the hospital and what the mission, vision, and values are of the organization. But second is we are quick to hire, slow to fire, and we don't train, whether it's a CSR, it is a credential technician, an assistant, and even our new veterinarians that come into a practice, we don't onboard them appropriately, which all leads to lack of confidence at every level. I think that there is so much we can uh, add to that. 
So Becky, real quick here. So give me, you gave one example of a scenario, but I mean, you're a registered technician. You've worked in a wide variety of, of, of you know, environments, including at the academic level as a, as a professor teacher. Tell us what it looks like and feels like to you. Get us a little setup so that then we can get into how to solve that or avoid it. Sure. Well, and I think the the major, you know, it goes back to what Ken Yagi was saying when he was a guest on our show last week and in, in just talking about that utilization. So what I see is almost one of the first and foremost presentations of this are highly trained staff who have, um, you know, experience doing what they do and, and a lot of enthusiasm, excitement and passion for what they do. And they're not properly utilized because there is that lack of either trust or communication about those skills. And I think that's sort of where this starts is almost an oversight in and a lack of understanding of what the level of education of that individual is on the technician level. Um, and I think that's almost where I feel like it comes from the most when I see it with with various individuals over the years is it's almost like a lack of understanding of, of what I do know and the ability to trust it. I think I would like to just kick in a little bit on that. And as, it, and as I think about um, our, our credentialing and that many in our industry don't realize what we go through to get our credentialing. And I also think about, uh, there's, you know, Dr. Ernie, this leads into the, the really how, we, how are we going to solve this is, is let's do a self-evaluation of ourselves first. Because I often think that when we have a lack of communication within a practice, which is usually a result of disrespect in some way. When we don't have communication, I always go back and do self-evaluation first. How, as a leader of my profession, whether I'm credentialed or a VTS, how am I leading myself within the practice? Meaning, how do I communicate with others? How do I influence others? And how do I impact and influence the decisions that others can make? And so many times that comes from within, which is a self-confidence piece, but it's also, we really need to learn about ourselves and the way we communicate and how we affect others. I love that, I love that you bring that up. But then like what fl- flips in my head is like most of the time, the most of the individuals that I know in this profession are, are very humble and they don't feel comfortable. And sometimes I think it kind of sometimes comes from this technician credentialed versus non-credentialed use of title. Like we almost are taught not to march about saying what we know and we are trying to be humble, but also justify what we know. And I think that's a place that a lot of technicians struggle is like, how do I stand up for myself without coming off like I know everything and I'm better than? And that's, I think, a, a place where I see a lot of my colleagues struggle. Yep. And Becky, I'm going to just challenge that slightly. I agree with you. Humility is one of the tenets of us. It makes us leads to empathy and so forth. It's something that I desire in myself and others. But having said that, I think it's also a conflict-averse mentality, right? So now when you are being disrespected, this quote-unquote humility, which I'm not sure if that's exactly the right proper description, but now it just says, I take it, and this leads to internal frustration and burnout. So Heather, let's start this conversation by, I will argue, and look, we had a great conversation with Ken, and we always lean on, you know, the reason that vet techs leave the profession is because of inadequate pay. I've always said it's lack of respect. I think that there is uh, several factors that go into that, that it's not just lack of respect, but it's lack of understanding and lack of knowledge. And I want to just go back one, one more step, Dr. Ernie, is that humble leaders are usually the most influential leaders. So I don't want to uh, discredit being humble by any means. Right, right. 
but but it, but again, humility doesn't avoid conflict. You know? No, no, absolutely, it doesn't. And we need to be able to, and we need to be able to have that confidence to to drive that uh, those conversations. It goes back to communication. Let's get back to this burnout, this, this, all of this dissatisfaction, because Heather, look, you and I are uh, totally on the same page. There's a whole laundry list of problems with why people aren't happy as a vet tech or, or quite frankly, even in the veterinary profession in general. But I, I still, the top of my list is this interpersonal relationships, this lack of respect, which leads to lack of responsibility, which leads to lack of advancement, which ultimately leads to lack of production and revenue and pay. Right. I mean, so let's get back to this. One of the things I think that you guys set out and you were one of the leaders early on with the VNI, the Veterinary Nurse Initiative, was to say, let's standardize it because I think part of the the friction between veterinarians and veterinary technicians is we really don't know what you're capable of. So the VNI is trying to to sort of, I think, make that more standardized. Absolutely trying to make that more standardized. And I, I do think that that will help develop the understanding of the credential technicians amongst the industry, but I'm still going to drive back to self-assessment of how we carry ourselves within a practice. So we might have, our team might have understanding of what we do, but if we come across as arrogant and we don't communicate, then we're going to break that down and have disrespect regardless. Okay. Now, perfect pivot (laughs) because here's the other side of disrespect and that's arrogance. So first of all, we said, look, you know, Hey, here's people that just, you know, the veterinarian says, Oh, you know, you know, you're not, you don't know how to do this or I know better or you can't handle this or whatever. Right. But then the pendulum swings to the other side where sometimes people, because their ego has been assaulted, they say, well, I'm going to lead with this aggressive, arrogant, bolder, version of me. And that also is disrespectful. It absolutely is. And, you know, let's talk about the perception that arrogance delivers, right? So there's arrogance that, that, um, offends people. Um, as a veterinarian, it may come across that somebody, uh, you know, a, a veterinary technician is challenging the medicine, but on the other side, so many times I find that arrogance is led by intimidation and lack of confidence. And we kind of bolster how we respond to situations with arrogance when there's really two other underlying factors. And if we don't address those factors through communication, then we are going to have the disrespectful situation. So I guess that brings us back to, you know, where we started then, because that I think is where the challenge ensues, because I know poor communication and a lack of communication is already present in so many clinics, right? Like we know that this is an issue. How do we improve it? How do how do we go about um, earning that respect? How do we help someone in our clinic who we recognize is is possibly feeling insecure? Um, you know, we do our self check and and we know that we're trying to come from a good place, but we see somebody who's maybe not in the best place, um, and they're the ones calling the shots. So as a technician, how do we quote unquote boost that ego without boosting arrogance in a way that we get to be part of the treatment plan and included? So what are the what are the action items for that? I think that there are three easy steps that anybody within a team, regardless of position, can take. The first one is the self-assessment of us. How do we communicate? You know, what words do we use in a conversation and how do we say it? The tone of voice is so critical. And many times when we're insecure, that's when the arrogance comes through in a in tone of voice. 
and you think about arguments or disagreements that you have, that it's it almost always circulates around the tone of voice that we used, not maybe necessarily the words that were used. He yelled at me, right? <laughs> That's what we say. We say things like, she was yelling at me. And of course, nobody actually was yelling, but it's that tone that leads to that perception that this was very aggressive, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> And then our nonverbal communication, you know, nonverbal is our, is our facial expressions, our hands, our arms, our body position. That's 55% of a message and people will automatically defer to what the nonverbal is saying. So as we are having conversations with others, we really need to do that self-assessment and take a look at how we are presenting our thoughts and our feelings to another person as we are diving into courageous conversations. And I think those courageous conversations are very difficult for people in our industry to have. We have a hard time having courageous conversations with clients when we are talking about treatment plans. We have a hard time with courageous conversations with somebody that we have respect for in our hospital, such as a technician to a veterinarian, or even to another technician maybe that somebody is slightly intimidated by. Yep. And again, viewfinders, remember, this isn't limited just to the four walls of your veterinary clinic. This extends to every aspect of humanity. I mean, Absolutely. You know, people are dealing with this in Asia and in South America and the UK. I mean, so nobody's perfect. This, These are real issues that just are a byproduct of socialization. And we're afraid to have courageous conversations in today's world. So I think that's a great, a great aspect of that, Ernie. I love that you call them courageous conversations, right? Because what you're not saying is confrontation. <laughs> that's what the, the, the C word that's being avoided there, right? Because that's what we're all afraid of. And I love that you call them courageous conversations because I think growth really does come from these situations. You know, I, I sometimes think maybe the person in the practice isn't aware that they are being this way. Um, and it is helpful to call it out. But what are those? So so when it comes to these these courageous conversations, Miss Heather, how do we do it? Because it's hard, right? So how do we muster up our courage and, and do it in a way that's going to be the most successful? Yeah. And let's put a power imbalance in place, because I think that's where most of our viewfinder family feels they are. They feel like, well, this is coming from someone superior to me. So how do I, in an inferior subordinate position, actually, you know, speak truth to this power, right? I mean, how do I confront or have this courageous conversation when it's my boss who's disrespecting me? I think that there, that is um, a great point to be able to address, Ernie. And I think about the um, vulnerability of anybody having a courageous conversation. One of the great rules of leadership is that you have to be vulnerable in order to influence others. So a conversation that I, the way I may address this conversation uh, personally, whether I was in practice or if I'm having a courageous conversation is to first be vulnerable as to why there's a problem that exists. So uh, let's just take, for example, Becky, the reason that started this conversation is, is that we have a VTS that is being disrespected by a veterinarian. What I would do is my vulnerability is in Dr. Ernie, I feel that I have maybe created some type of distrust or disrespect amongst us. And I'm not sure maybe what I have done. And I would like to have a, a good conversation, a constructive conversation to move us forward because I really respect you as a veterinarian. I respect your medicine, but how can we work through this together so that we have that mutual respect for one another? That is the vulnerable piece that I would put myself uh, kind of under the bus to start that conversation. And that drops the barriers of the person you're having a courageous conversation with. 
Yep. Heather, you know, every time when I'm in dealing with conflict and this is what I've written about and lectured about, and, and I, this is what I live is there's two tenets to this one always lead with compassion. And so here it's humility slash compassion. So if you feel you've been slighted by your boss, by another veterinarian or whatever, the first thing you should do is say, Hey, own it. Say, I, I just feel like there's some kind of tension. Is there something I have done? And I love that vulnerability aspect, Heather, that you're sort of proposing here because that's my slash compassion, humility aspect. But what you're saying is, look, hey, let, let's have this open conversation. I'm not confronting you. I'm not blaming you or accusing you. I'm actually saying, did I do something wrong? Absolutely. You know, and one of the things that we often do is we go to our friends and our colleagues and we start asking for support of somebody else within the hospital, which in essence starts the gossip train. And I love that you I love that you bring up the, you know, I statements, right, because it keeps the defense levels down. So we're not saying, you know, you did this or you make me feel this way. It's This is all I statements and, and being vulnerable. And I think that's really important um, when in my experience, you know, with various managers, they usually do like for these types of things to try to be resolved between two people first. And I kind of am interested in your take on that. Is this something we should be trying to deal with directly amongst ourselves? Is this something that we should be getting HR involved in? Um, Or, you know, how much does HR need to be on the lookout for this and be getting involved before it's even having to get solved amongst each other? The first step I feel is when we're trying to develop respect for one another is that we have a direct conversation with the two parties involved not management, not HR. Because if if it goes to HR, if it's escalated to HR or practice manager, it's going to be asked, well, what did you do to try to resolve the situation before it got here? But as we want to develop respect, having that awareness between one another is going to heighten the respect. If we go around that, then it's going to decrease the respect. So I think that that, that that having that direct conversation is very critical to the success of it. And if we aren't unable to come to a resolution, then maybe we have a practice manager or HR facilitate a discussion that will, somebody that will be a neutral party to help achieve our goals, which really is our client and our patient. Right. And, and that's one of the things I wanted to mention. And I, and I hate that Laura's not here because this, this was her style. Like, you know, Becky, she always wanted people to feel empowered to bring it directly to management, right? So if they did not feel comfortable, especially when you're looking at power imbalances in a practice or business, you know, she said, look, I'm your safe space. And then she would either go and address that with a person or as Heather just suggested, facilitate, you know, sort of this triangular discussion. Um, But regardless, if you're listening today, viewfinders, you need to have some advocate in management in your practice. If you feel that unsafe, then oh my gosh, Heather, there's so many things wrong with that clinic. But I think a lot of people do live this sort of isolated existence. And the reason I say that is because of the way people share it on social media. I mean, I am flabbergasted, Becky, that people go out and are are more comfortable sharing it online than with their own team. Yeah, I I mean, I think it's um, trying to keep the harmony in the clinic. I think that there is also times where we do try to resolve the issue or we do try to have the conversations and and we still don't move past it or we we don't get back there. And it makes me kind of want to talk to this quote unquote power balance and and um, 
com- you know, that, that we keep bringing up because I think just through tradition, we have this feeling of, you know, veterinarian is in charge. Veterinary technicians are not, you know, it, but it brings me back to, you know, thinking about the studies that showed, you know, that there are cultural links to plane crashes because we question, you know, our ability to question our quote unquote authority in a situation that may even become dangerous. Right. And so with less and less clinics, you know, being privately owned and more being corporately owned and and the power balance changing, Miss Heather, can you speak to that a little bit? Just that power balance imbalance. How are you as a director in hospitals sort of helping to, to kind of maybe simmer this down in the first place. Oh, great, great topic. We could have a whole nother hour. <laughs> going back to that, right? But, 2.0. but you know, <laughs> culture is a, as at the local level, right? So it doesn't matter really who the ownership is. If it's a corporation, while there are different things that we may have to embody from the corporate side, culture is established at a local level. So the people that work in that practice on a daily basis are the ones that are responsible for driving a great culture. We participate in those goals together. We have goals that we may achieve for the corporate level, but the culture of our hospital is ours to own. And if we don't own it, then we have that negative culture. And we have local leadership in every one of those hospitals that is a usually a veterinarian and a practice manager. And we know that that culture starts from the leadership and trickles down. So our owners, our, our leadership within those local levels have to own that culture and drive it through the rest of the hospital. Yep. And one of the things, if you're an independent clinic out there listening today, I want to say, be aware of what's happening with these large corporate entities because they are bringing awareness to these topics. They are addressing them. They are setting systems in place that allow you, as Becky said, to have someone to talk to or to to address and, and get it resolved. And I think too often, Heather, in local independent clinics, this has just been stuff that's been you know sort of shoveled under the, the carpet, so to speak. And I and couldn't agree with you more on that. So I'm really kind of excited. That's the wrong word. But you know, look, however we make change in the profession, I'm going to support as long as it's a positive change. And I'm going to give credit where credit is due. And some of the companies like Banfield and the larger corporate entities, they're talking about this stuff, which is a huge step forward from where I came from 30 years ago. Absolutely. Culture matters. And everybody's being able to now put really KPIs behind culture and having a great place to work is is what drives employee satisfaction, the respect, the um, employee engagement, really ultimately best patient care comes back to the culture. So there's a huge amount of, um, you know, we have a huge, a lot of, a, a lot of industry talks that really focus on culture now. So I guess it makes me come all the way back to the beginning. So what did you do when this was you? How did you handle it? What were, what did you say to your, you know, the veterinarian that you were having conflict with in your clinic? how did you resolve it? Direct communication. That was the first piece that uh, I really had to work on and uh, and work with the one veterinarian and identify where I had offended her. We had to identify how she offended me. We came to a neutral balance of how we were going to work together. And, w- and we created a, almost a safe word between the two of us that when your tone of voice changes, I'm taking offense to that. And I'm just bringing you, you know, it's just a simple little word that we are not going to get offended when either one of us brings it up, but it brings awareness as to how we're speaking to one another. And we really created that safe zone between us. And that grew our relationship from that point forward. 
But it took me a good six to eight months to gain the courage to have that courageous conversation. And I couldn't believe I waited so long once I finally did it. Well, Viewfinders, we don't want you to wait any longer. If there is conflict in your life, if there's a relationship that you feel is disrespectful toward you, we want you to seek help today. And if you've been through this before, like Heather, Becky, myself, and I'm guessing almost everybody who's listening to this podcast today, how have you gotten to the other side? What have you done to resolve it and make things better? Because ultimately, if you keep these things inside, it will fester, it will blow up, and eventually you will burn out. That's right. You can share with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram, and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. And before we go, Heather, where can they find out more about all the exciting things you're up to? I guess they can find me. Uh, this is a tough one, Dr. Ernie. I'm always at the national conferences. You can certainly visit our Encore website at EncoreVetGroup.com. And you can always go to my Synergy page, Synergy-LLC.com. Well, I encourage you to check out Heather. She is not only a friend of the podcast, but a friend of the profession. Thank you on behalf of all of us for making the world a little bit better. Until next time, what are you doing to make your day just a little brighter? Bye. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>